I want to talk to you about something today that is very dear to me, and really when I kind of realized this, it shifted my whole relationship with Jesus and just the way that I looked at Christianity in a whole. But just before we do this, so I can kind of get a good gauge of the people in here, how many of you guys are just like absolute driven like perfectionists? Anybody, like when you do something, you like to do it right. I am such a perfectionist, like it it drives me nuts. Like anybody in here, um, when you draw like a line, if there goes like a little crooked line, it just drives you crazy. I cannot open my wife's Bible because when she highlights things, it's like, it's like an absolute like heel base and I'm like so tedious within it and it drives me crazy. But what I find a lot of times, people don't even realize it, they're perfectionists a lot of times. And really perfectionist in the side of like you want everything in your life to go smoothly. And when it doesn't, a lot of times the tendency is to make it at least appear that it does. Right? So maybe things aren't going well in your life. So the default mechanism that you're struggling with right now is just lying. Like, hey, how are things going? Like when you walk in the doors, maybe you had somebody shake your hand and greet you. Hey, how was this week? And you're like, great. And then you walk in, you're like, it was terrible. Like it was awful. And so a lot of times what we like to do is we like to paint this picture perfect scenario um, that everything in life is going good when it's really not. So what I want to do is if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, um, and if you have an iPhone, the beauty of it is now the Bible is on there. They have an app called Version. You can download that. As soon as we get our screen fixed, we'll have all that up there uh, for you as well. But Ephesians 1, chapter 4, I mean, chapter 1, verse 4, and it says this. This is going to kind of set the tone for what I want to talk about this morning. Even as he chose us in him... Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So let's stop there for a moment. Even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, I want you to understand the implications of this verse. Meaning this, okay? Before God created land, sea, animals, anything in the earth, it says that he knew you and he loved you and he chose you. Okay, so if this verse is true, which it is, then this means this. Before you ever had an opportunity to mess things up in your life, God chose you and he accepted you and he loved you. If you can get that this morning, I promise you it will change your perspective on your relationship with Jesus. So this is what this means. You were defined by a heavenly father before this world could ever define you. See, so many of us are defined by our relationships, by our marriages, by our jobs, by all those kinds of things. That's where we find our identity. But here's what scripture says. Counterintuitive to what you think, scripture says this, that you were defined by God before you ever had an opportunity to screw anything up. How freeing is that? Knowing that all the mistakes you've made, all the past that you wish that you could erase, Ephesians 1 declares that before the foundations of the earth, God knew you, he loved you, and he chose you. This is a big deal. So here's the main thing that I want to get across this morning. With that, what I just said, keep this in the back of your mind. We're not called to perfection, but we are called to progress. Okay, scripture does not call us to be perfect, but it does call us to enter into this race and keep making steps forward. I don't know if you've ever tried to achieve perfection, but honestly, it's quite exhausting, isn't it? 
when you have to just constantly put on this mask, put on this front before people, maybe you're around a boss, maybe around your wife, maybe you have secrets that you don't want anybody to know, and the reason that you don't want to know is because maybe it's embarrassing or there's other things going on in your life and you just don't want people to know because if you opened up about something, then they would see you differently. And here's what I want to suggest to you this morning. Jesus does not demand perfection from us. There's no way that we can ever be perfect. The only way that we get to be perfect is we die and we go before the Father. That's the only way that we reach perfection. But Jesus does call us to enter into this race and continue to make progress. Let me give it to you this way. 1 Timothy chapter 12, starting in verse 4. And it says this. Let no, and this is Timothy speaking to Paul. I mean, Paul speaking to Timothy, sorry. It says, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. It says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now watch this. So here's what he's saying. Paul is telling Timothy, hey, listen, I want you to pray. I want you to seek God. I want you to do all these things. And this is why he tells them to do all these things. Watch this. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Did he say so that all may look at you and say, oh my goodness, just look how holy this guy is. He never makes any mistakes. He's so in tune with Jesus. He's just perfect. He says, no, I want you to do these things so that people around you will see your progress. You know what the world hates? The world absolutely cannot stand Christians that just do not admit when they're wrong. Everybody can see it. And a lot of times, this is if you're saved, if you know Jesus, this is the trap that we end up falling into. That now that I know Jesus, I have to live this kind of clean, squeaky life, and, and I can never do anything wrong. And when I'm around people, if I do mess up, I definitely can't let them know that I messed up because I'm a Christian, and Christians don't do these things. But you know what speaks more loudly to the world is when they actually see progress. So when they see you fail, when they see you blow it and you come before them and then this is radical to them. Hey, listen, I failed. I blew it. I made a mistake. And guess what? I'm sorry. Most people don't ever see that. Most people don't ever see Christians come to the point where they're just willing to admit their flaws, where they're willing to be an open book, where they can look people in the eye and say, you know what? I'm just like you. I made a mistake and it should have never happened. So here's the deal. When the Apostle Paul was training Timothy in the disciplines of the, of the faith, he established this healthy standard. And the standard was this. It was, not, uh, it was not perfection. It was perseverance. So here's the deal. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to enter into the race. And we're going to find out later on in the message that ultimately, not only do I want you to enter into the race, but I want you to finish. Like, I want you to finish well, isn't that the whole reason that we do this thing anyway? That we get into a, a living a life with Jesus because it's not just because everything works out, but ultimately we want to be able to look on our deathbeds one day and say, you know what, things got rough, things got hard, but you know what, I found joy every single day that I progressed. And you know what, I can finally say like Paul does, I finished. And I did it well. Things may have not went perfect, but you know what, I finished the race. Um, one of the most, how many parents in here? 
Just any parents in here? Okay, most of you. So most of you will get this example. Um, one of the most exciting things as a parent that at least we found, well, as you have more, it's probably not as exciting, but at least with your first one. Okay, when you have your first child, you know, like every mother is so adamant about, like if a pacifier falls on the ground, she's soaking it in Clorox and cleaning it and doing all this stuff. And by the time you have your second one, it's like, all right, it's good. Like, put it in. You know, I'm tired. I don't feel like doing all that stuff. Well, one of the things that you notice, one of the most exciting things for parents is this. My, my son, Timothy, our, our fifth child, he's doing the army crawl right now. So he's crawling all over the place. He's putting stuff in his mouth. You have to watch him like a hawk because he will just choke on anything. I don't know why little kids have this fascination with just stuffing any, oh, that's a roach. Let me just put that in my mouth. Like, what are you doing? So he crawls around and he puts everything in his mouth. But there's going to come a day and we know this from experience, there's going to come a day, or one day he's going to leave the, crawling, the, the army crawling phase, and he's going to move over to crawling, right? So he's constantly progressing, and then there's going to come a day where he's going to do something that's going to astonish every first-time parent in here. He's going to pull himself up on a coffee table. And when he does that, he usually has a few decisions to make. Do I want to sit back down? Or do I want to attempt walking for the first time? And this is a very difficult thing for babies to do, because I don't know if you've realized this, but they have tiny bodies and gigantic heads. So gravity always kind of draws them straight to the floor. Um, But when they do this, what happens? Every parent in the room, if grandmothers are in the room, everybody is reaching for their smartphone, right? Everybody's going over to the camera app. Oh my gosh, I'm going to get the first steps. I'm going to film this. It's going to be amazing. And then what happens? He decides to let go of the coffee table and he takes a few steps and everybody's cheering, right? Everybody's celebrating and they're saying, hey, look at him. He's walking. I can't believe this. And he takes another step. And then what you have to remember, gravity takes place. Boom. He busts it, right? Now let me... Let me pause here for a moment, and I want you to think about something. When this happens, when he takes some steps, when he takes progress, and then he falls, as a father, would it be okay for me to say, Timothy, are you serious, son? That's all you got. Like, two steps. You're like, you're seriously disappointing to your family. I don't even know why you have the McCann name. Like, are you serious? Two steps, that's all you got in you. You could have taken, like, five more, ten more. You should be walking by now, Right? How evil would that be? That would be absolutely evil, right? Now, what happens when this, when this happens, when that kid takes the steps for the first time? Every parent, grandmother, every person in that room erupts with excitement, right? Did you see that? He's taking steps. I can't believe it. Put this on Facebook and all this kind of stuff. I want so-and-so to see. Now, here's the sad part about this. This is why I share this example with you. The reason that God wants progress and not perfection and the reason that some of us are not making progress is because we view God as this evil tyrant father. That when you make steps, when you move forward, when you kind of let your hand go from the coffee table and you say, you know what, I'm sick of this, I'm I'm coming to church or I want to get around the right people, I want to do the right thing, I want to have a relationship with Jesus and you start making progress and then all of a sudden sin creeps back in. And temptation creeps back in. And those old thoughts and that old way of thinking creeps back in and you fall flat on your face. And the view that most of us have of God is God peering down from heaven and going, seriously, you fell again? I thought you promised me that you weren't ever going to do this again. 
I thought you said, and it it just goes on and on in our mind, and it plays on replay over and over and over again. But I want to suggest to you today that the Father, the loving, gracious Father, is nothing like that. That when Jesus sees you making progress and you fall flat on your face, he celebrates. He celebrates. Because here's the difference. You're making progress. And the reason that people celebrate when this little child falls down is because they know, hey, guess what? Now it's set in motion. He's going to learn. He's going to get back up. And he's going to get back on the coffee table again. And he's going to let go. And maybe he's going to take two or three more steps this time. And he's going to move forward. And some of us are so stuck spiritually in our lives because we think when we fall that it's over. That God is just up from heaven and he's angry at us, he's frustrated at us, he's mad at us. And this is absolutely not how God views us. The Bible actually teaches us that when you experience him and let go of the coffee table, the Father says in heaven, did you see that? He's moving. He's making progress. That, that old life that once bound him, that sin that he was once stuck by, yes, maybe he had a mishap here or there, but at least he's making progress. At least he's getting out of it. Zephaniah says it this way, his delight is in me. He dances and he sings over me. This is how the Father views us. So, Could it be possible today that some of you have taken your hand off of the coffee table and you've taken a few steps and you've fallen flat on your face and you haven't gotten up because you feel like God is angry at you? I want to suggest this to you today, that God is a loving father who comes down, he swoops you up with blood on your knees and he says, you know what, I'll supply the crutches for a little while and I'll help you move forward. He doesn't just leave you down there and say, you know what, I I told you. I told you not to do this again, so you know what? It's, just, it's over. I'm done with you. The Father relentlessly pursues us. This is why knowing Scripture is so important. This is why the Scripture says, Come to me, all who are weary and what? Heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. See, if we aim at perfection, we're going to fall short every single time. Every time. But God delights... <clears throat> Excuse me. God delights in progress. He delights in us moving forward. So here's the truth. Maybe you came in here six months ago, a year ago, and and maybe you got saved. God just did a 180 in your life. And here's the question that you've got to ask yourself. Are you farther along than you were a year ago? And are you wiser than you were six months ago? Or are you still stuck in the same situation? It's kind of like having kids in a sense. Nobody sees their kids growing in front of their eyes, right? You just, you don't see it. And then you look at a picture two years, two years ago and you're like, oh my goodness, they've gotten so tall. They've grown so much. They've matured so much. They didn't have teeth and now they have teeth. God delights in such progress. And I think what God is calling and saying to some of us today is simply this. Are you willing to get on the train? 
Are you willing to get on the train with your mess, with all the stuff that you've got going on in your life, and can you trust a loving Father that says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden, and guess what? I will give you rest. Can you rest in a God that says, you know what? It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what kind of past you've had, what kind of mishaps you've had, or the things that you wish that you would never done, that you wish that you could take back. Can you just get on the train and trust God to make forward progress? You know, um, Martin Luther, the, he was a monk at the time who kind of spurred on the whole Protestant Reformation. Him and um, some of his, his fellow monks used to do this. When they sinned, they, used, they, would, they felt like in order to atone, they would have to uh, seek some kind of penance. So it was crazy what they absolutely believed. What they believed is when they fell short, when they felt that bitter sting of guilt, of sin just kind of creeping in, they would literally take this whip and they would have glass shards in it and they would whip themselves in the back. And then they would say, God, look, look what I've done. I'm so sorry. I've punished myself for doing these things. Some of them went to other extremes. They would actually take their shoes, they would break pieces of glass, and they would put it in their shoes, and they would walk around like this all day. And they would say, God, I'm suffering for you. I'm trying to atone for my sin. Some would literally strip down naked in the wintertime and go sleep out in the snow. And they would, they would, in hopes that they would say, God, are you seeing what I'm doing? I'm suffering for you. I'm so sorry for what I've done. And I know that you're probably hearing this and you're going, that's insane. Like, who would ever do anything? Who in their right mind would do something like this? But don't we do the same thing? Don't we do the same thing just in different ways instead of running to God when we feel guilty, instead of running to God when we've done something that, that we know that breaks God's heart, instead of running to him in pain and in our mess, sometimes we think in our messed up thinking, we think that it's just better to run away from him. So as a pastor, I hear this all the time. I'm actually talking to a guy right now, like currently, that is like on the verge. He's like this close, this close to knowing Jesus, this close to coming to church, all this kind of stuff. And his whole expression of why he doesn't walk in these doors is simply this. I'm not good enough, and I'm not where I need to be. I'm still an alcoholic. I still wrestle with some of these things, and I still can't walk in these doors. My response to him every single time is like, you're in the perfect place for Jesus to meet you. But isn't it true, like a lot of times when we sin, when we fall short, we think that we have to kind of atone for it, right? Okay, before I can ever go before God's people, before I can ever have an intimate relationship with Jesus, then I've got to punish myself. God, I've got to run away from you, and I'm going to try to clean up myself on my own. I'm going to try to get things right. And the question that I always have for people is, how's that working for you? How's that working? Like, how's cleaning yourself up working for you? Because the truth is, if you could have done it by yourself, you would have done it already. And the truth is, you need a loving Savior that looks at you in your mess, in your shame, and in your guilt, in some of the lowest areas of your life, and just says, you know what? I don't care what you've done. Because there is absolutely nothing that you could do that would ever separate me from loving you. Nothing. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, just for those that want the reference of the verse that I'm using, it says, Come to me, all who are weary, 
all who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I hope that this scripture can ring in your ears this morning. There would not just be some little coffee mug scripture that we read and something that we see plastered all over Christian posters and stuff like this, but it is a promise from Jesus. Like, hey, where are you at in your life right now? Are there things that you're carrying? Are there things that you're struggling with that are just too heavy, that are too burdensome? Then Jesus promises if you come to him with your mess and all and you're willing to open up and be an open book with some things, then he will give you rest. I'll be honest with you, and this may shock you. Um, when I sin, the punishment of hell does not loom over my head. It just doesn't. Um, when I sin, if you're like me in here, I honestly wrestle with the fact that I have to win God's approval back. That I have to kind of like win it over again. And so let me, let me give it to you kind of how it plays out sometimes. And I know this is not true, but this is just how my mind works sometimes. Like when you fall short, when you sin, you ever find yourself in the cycle of feeling like, God, forgive me. And you feel like that wasn't enough. You feel like, okay, I just need to, I need to ask him again because I'm not sure if he heard me. So I'm going to say it again. God, please forgive me. I'm, I can't believe that I did this. And then it's like this cycle that ends up repeating over and over and over and over again. And you keep asking and you keep pleading and you keep begging. And I think the reality is the reason that we keep doing that is because we're absolutely convinced that God is disappointed with us. That God is angry at us. And here's the deal. Some of us have a really hard time framing up the Father's love, right? We have a hard time when, when you hear somebody say, listen, Jesus loves you unconditionally. You're like, yeah, 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 but that, not me. Like, not me. When we say Jesus loves you unconditionally, there's all these things that play on in your mind of why that can't be you. And maybe you can't frame it up because your entire life, when you hear the word father, you didn't have a good father. So it's just hard for you to frame it up. Maybe you had a dad that neglected you. Maybe you had a dad who was not a good dad. Maybe you had a dad who made these promises. Hey, I'll be at this game. Hey, I'll be at yours. this. I'll do this. And he never came through. Maybe you had a dad that constantly broke his promises or, or whatever it is. And I want to tell you today that Jesus is nothing like your earthly father absolutely nothing like your earthly father. Jesus keeps every promise that he makes. Everything that Jesus says, he follows through with what he says. And I want you to know this. According to scripture, Jesus, when you come to him, offers full forgiveness. He doesn't know how to give partial forgiveness. You ever, you ever um, got in an argument with your spouse? and you think it's over, <laughs> and then you, like, go outside, and you come back in, you're like, whew, it ain't over. <laughs> like, it is not over. She is still flamingly mad. This is not over, and you're kind of, like, tipping around. You're like, hey, uh, something wrong? She's like, no, nothing's wrong. Okay, it's definitely not over. So maybe you, you, sit, you sit down, you look at each other in the eyes, you're like, I'm so sorry. This should have never happened. I failed, and you walk out, and you come back in, and you realize it's not resolved. So maybe in that moment, what that spouse did is like, sure, I forgive you, but I don't really forgive you. They offer partial forgiveness. Okay, I forgive you for this, but not this yet, because I'm not there yet, right? I'm not there yet. See, when you ask Jesus for forgiveness, he doesn't know how to give partial forgiveness. See, if he knew how to give partial forgiveness, then he wouldn't have sent half of his son. 
He sent his one and only son to atone for every single wrong that we've ever done. So here's the thing. Jesus only knows how to forgive fully. He only knows how to give full forgiveness, full freedom, and full joy. He does not know how to give partial forgiveness. So when you come to him and you ask for forgiveness, he fully forgives you. He fully forgives you. And here's what you have to keep in mind. Do not allow your emotions to, cl- to cloud his forgiveness. Well, I just don't feel it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you feel in that moment. It, your emotions do not um, blot out the cross. <laughs> they just don't. How you feel in that moment, well, I don't feel like God forget. He did. He did. And so many times what ends up happening is the reason that we don't move forward, the reason that we don't progress is because we end up basing our relationship with Jesus not on what he's done and who he is, but how we feel. And this is a dangerous place to be at. This is a dangerous place to be at. Christ offers full forgiveness. Meaning this, it was as if the offense that you did was never even done was never even done. You being forgiven is understanding that your filth, that your sin, that your arrogance, that your pride, whatever it is that you've done, that Jesus completely erases it. I've been listening to a song lately, and one of the uh, choruses, some of the lyrics is that Jesus does not give pieces of his heart away. He gives it all away. And some of you have got to understand. Like, I pray to God. I've prayed for you all week, and I pray that you get this. Because the conversations that I've had with many people in here is it's just they have a hard time wrapping their head around what they've done in the past and that God really does give them a clean slate. Do you know when you become a new creation, Colossians puts it this way, when, when the old life passes away and the new life comes in, it literally... If you could see it physically, it would be like this body dying and God completely gives you a new body. Like everything that you've done, all the past mistakes, when you become a new creation, it is like you are brand new again. It's like you're brand new again. And my prayer for you is that Ephesians would be an anchor to your soul this morning, that before the foundations of the earth... If you could understand the implications of this, before anything was created, done, set in motions, before stars were arranged and animals were created, Milky Ways and galaxies and planets, God knew you, he knew that you'd be a mess, and he loved you anyway. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a mess. (laughs) And God loved you anyway. Ephesians 1, let me read it again. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So why did he do it? Because he loved you. Because he loved you. Let me just set some of you free this morning. The truth is most people already know you're not perfect, so stop acting like it. 
Just ask your spouse, babe, am I perfect? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) And here's the deal. So many of us waste our time trying to be perfect, trying to put on this mask, trying to give off this kind of lifestyle that's not us. Man, so many of us, the reason that we cannot progress in our spiritual life is because maybe we've made some progress and then when we fall flat on our face, we're stricken down by the condemnation of the enemy that says you just need to stay there and you can never get back up again. Because God will never love you. God will never forgive you. Listen, he doesn't have any new tricks. Isn't this what he did in the very beginning? Hey, eat of the tree and you'll know everything that God knows. God doesn't really love you because he doesn't really want you to know some things. So if you eat of this tree, then you'll really know what God is like. It's the same lie from the very beginning that we all end up falling victim to. But the reason that God offers full forgiveness, the reason that he sent his one and only son for you and for me, and the reason that he rose from the grave on the third day was simply because he loved us. And there's absolutely nothing that you could ever do. Nothing that you could ever do that would remove that away from you. Nothing. People will pay attention to progress in your life. When people look at somebody that maybe had a messed up past and they start making steps to get on the right track, that is noticeable to people. And here's the deal. An authentic Christian life throughout the scriptures is often compared to a long journey. A long race. A long marathon. A long haul. And why? Because God wants you to run all the way to the very end. Any runners in here? Anybody run? Other than running to get a burger? Anybody ever do that? Was that mean? (laughs) Um, I run, and uh, when I first started, one of the things that I noticed was simply this. If you start running too fast, you're not going to last that long. Like, you will just get winded really fast. Like, and this is what I started doing. Like, I was, I was all about time in the beginning. Like, I just want to beat the eight-minute mile. I got to beat that. So I would just push myself. And then after that, I'm like, I can't go anymore because I've exerted and I've exhausted all my energy into trying to run that one mile. But if you pace yourself and say, okay, as I build up my lung capacity, as my legs get stronger and all those things, then I can run faster and I can run longer. But I've got to learn to be patient. I've got to learn to be patient. See, we live in a culture that wants things right now. Like many of you, you stand in line for 45 seconds at McDonald's waiting on your fries. Like, oh my God, it's just fries, just fry it. Come on, give me the fries, right? We live in a culture that wants everything right now, and the problem is that ends up transcending into our relationship with Jesus. And sanctification, meaning this, that you becoming more like Jesus, is the long haul. So some of you, maybe you got saved yesterday, maybe you got saved six weeks ago. It is okay to not see this radical change overnight. God just wants you to enter into the journey. He wants to see progress over time. 
And so many of us want it so quickly. We want fireworks. We want all this kind of stuff right now that it ends up discouraging us. So we look at other Christians like, man, I'll just never be like them. I'll never be as spiritual as them. I'll never know the Bible like they do. I'll never be able to pray like they do. I'll never have a family like they do. And what you don't realize, and most people that are in that position have been seeking God for 20 years. And they're, in their mind, they're going, man, I'll never have a family like that. And I wish I could pray like that. And I wish I could read my Bible like that. You know what? I've been serving God for a long time now. And I still, every single day, God is pointing out flaws in my life. Andrew was with me um, on our way back in England. And uh, when we got to the airport, I was extremely tired, like really jet lagged. And uh, I remember looking at him and I said, dude, you're going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly of me right now. Because when I'm tired, I get I get mean, like I get short, like things come out of my mouth and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. But my dad, we were walking in the airport and uh, love my dad, but my dad, everything in his mind is fast pace. And I'm just kind of like slow, steady, like let's just keep going. And so we had a four and a half hour layover when we got to Atlanta. And my dad is like darting down the, the airport terminal trying to get to his gate. And I'm like, we have four and a half hours. Like, what is he doing? We just got off of an eight-hour flight, and he is trying to get to a place where we're just going to literally sit. I'm taking my time. And my dad's like, come on, let's go. And like, it just came out. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> and I was and Andrew's got, I was like, oh, God. Uh, so I remember sitting on the train, and I'm just like, well, you just saw the ugly side of your pastor. I'm sorry. Like, it just comes out. And um. What ends up happening, though, even though I've walked with Jesus for a long time, there is just some things that come out of me that even I'm shocked by. Like, oh my gosh, I did not realize that that was in me. You ever have, like, I've had the worst thoughts in the world reading my Bible sometimes. You're like, where did that come from? I wasn't even thinking about anything, and all of a sudden it's just like injected into my mind, and I'm thinking about things that I shouldn't be thinking about. So uh, let me help some of you this morning. The rest of your life, you're going to be made like Jesus. And there's always going to be places where Jesus is always going to be pointing things out. And here's the deal. Here's why it happens like this. Because he loves you so much that if he just pointed out every wrong in your life right now at that moment, he would crush you. The weight would be so overbearing you couldn't handle it. It would be so overbearing, you couldn't handle it. So he's a gracious and loving father. So just day by day, all right, let's work on this today. Okay, th- okay, today, let's work on this today because he loves you. See, seeing the end of his own life, Paul told Timothy this, I have finished the race. This is what we're all about. I have finished the race. Hebrews even goes farther. It says, run the race, what? Not quickly. Run the race with endurance, meaning pace yourself. Run the race with endurance that is set before us, looking to Jesus. So here's the deal. How you run today and how you'll run tomorrow reflect how many times you decide to get up. How you run today and how you run this race tomorrow is determined by how many times you decide to get up. Are you going to allow the enemy to keep you down in condemnation? Because Romans says, hey, if you're in Christ, there is no more condemnation. No, Romans 8.1 talks about if you are in Christ, if you are a new creation, then there is no more condemnation. The enemy has been 
defeated. See, even failures and setbacks at times can be a part of God's training plan. Saying, listen, everything that you're going through, everything that you're facing is just preparing you to run this race. So like Timothy, none of us have finished the race yet. But it's always today, is always another day and an opportunity to progress and move forward. And following Jesus is the ultimate marathon. And immersing yourself in godly training today will help you today. One day say what Paul says. This is what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I love this line. I have kept the faith. You know what? This is my prayer. This is my plea for myself and every single one of us in here. That one day when you're old and your kids are surrounding you and maybe you've got a few moments left and you're about to see Jesus and you're about to come face to face that you can enjoy and with much pleasure say, you know what, I've fought the fight. I've fought the good faith. And you know what, I have kept the faith. Yeah, maybe I had setbacks. Maybe I had some things that I wish that I wouldn't have done. But you know what? I've kept the faith. I entered into the race. And when I fell down and I scraped my knees up and it hurt. And I wish I wouldn't have made that decision. God picked me up and he gave me crutches with the limp. And he helped me move on. Can you finish the race? Because listen, it's not about running a sprint. It's not about getting there as fast as you can. This life is long. And you need endurance and you need perseverance. So progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. Here's a saying. If you want to remember this, I think this will help you. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. So it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. So, so here's the deal. It's okay to be a mess right now. It's just not okay to stay there. It's okay to have some, some hang-ups and some past history and some things that you just wish you wouldn't have done. But here's what God's calling you to do today. I don't want you to stay there. I want to pull you out of that. I love you enough where I don't want you to stay in that pain. And some of us, because we're doing like what Martin Luther and the monks did, we're, like, we're, we're punishing ourselves. Well, God, I'm not worthy enough in my life. I'm not smart enough. I've done this. I've done that. I, I don't deserve God's grace. Here's the good news. None of us do. Man, you could live the most holy life in the world, the most squeaky clean life in the world, and you're still not worthy of God's grace. Maybe you've come in feeling ashamed. Maybe you've come in feeling dirty. Maybe you've come in feeling overwhelmed. But here's the deal. Listen to this. The whole point of the cross is you being where you are right now so that you wouldn't have to be there tomorrow. It's the whole point of the cross. is so that you could be where you are right now and so that you wouldn't have to be there tomorrow. All your pain, all of your regrets, all of your past history, Jesus dies on a cross so that you can leave that behind. So I want to close with a few thoughts. I want you to know this. God's in your pain. God's in your defeat. He's in your victories. He's in the times when you feel like you're only holding on by a thread. He's there. 
Because yet again, if we go all the way back to Ephesians chapter one, let this be an anchor to your soul before the foundation of the earth. He knew you. He loved you. So you know what this means? His love for you is not contingent on how good you are. Do you know that his love is not contingent on anything that you've done? His love is actually contingent on who his son was and what his son did. And when his son went to the cross, it was perfect. He died, he atoned for our sins, and that was all God needed. And so here's the deal. Some of us in here just need to embrace that and accept that. It's not about your good works. It's not about you being a good person. Listen, if Christianity was all about being a good person, it would be the most miserable life in the world. It just would be. Because then that means that you would have to be perfect to be a good person. But when you understand this, that God is just after progress, it doesn't mean that, hey, this doesn't give us, and Paul talks about this, it doesn't mean that now we have a license just to do whatever, you know, and we can abuse grace. No, when you really understand this, it seeps down into your heart and it compels you to say, God, I want to do everything that I can to please you. And when I do make mistakes, you know what? I'm going to get back up and I'm not going to stay there. So I want to take a moment this morning, just for some of us, to allow God's grace to really just invade our hearts. Because listen, I know where some of you are at today. Because I've been there. I've been there where you're so convinced that God is just angry with you. He's disappointed with you. He's frustrated with you. And when you're there, it just stagnates everything. When you're there, it's so hard to move on. And But God is nothing like your earthly father. So just with every head bowed, every eye closed in here, if you're in here this morning and you're saying, you know what, Zach, I'm, honestly, I'm just, I'm tired. Like, I want to believe what you're saying. I want the, the gospel to invade my heart, my life, and my convictions and my decisions. But the truth is, I'm just having such a hard time getting there. I'm having a really hard time believing that this truth that you're talking about actually applies to me. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Thank you. Thank you. Many of you. Let's pause and let's pray for those people. God, I pray right now, God, for those that are having just a hard time, God, just receiving your grace. God, receiving that you are good. God, maybe, they, maybe they're so caught up in thinking that, man, what I've done is just despicable. What I've done, God could never love me. God, I pray that today they would walk out of here completely different, that that would not be the case. God, that today would be the first time that they radically encounter you. If you're in here this morning and and you say, you know what, that truth that you're talking about, this grace that you're talking about, man, it sounds great. The truth is I've never experienced it. I don't know Jesus, but I want to know Jesus today. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Okay, many of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Father God, I pray for those that are far away from you. God, those that want to know you, 
But God, maybe they're so caught up in just what they've done. God, I pray that today that your grace would invade their lives. God, and that through, their, through your grace that they would turn away from their sin. They would turn away from the things that entangle them, the things that suck joy out of their life. God, I pray that today that they would know you. In Jesus' name.